John chapter 3, passage that we're all familiar with. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light. It will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes to the light so that it may be seen plainly what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So God, we come stand before your holy presence just like the tabernacle. God, as they enter, as the priests enter the Holy of Holies once a year to give atonement for the sins of Israelites. God, you have made the way through the death and the resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, the sacrifice of your Son, Jesus Christ. We are able to access the Holy of Holies, the place where you have brought us, O oh God. So God, we stand with confidence before you right now. We come before your presence not out of our own righteousness, but because of the righteousness of Christ that has been bestowed upon us. And God, we stand in confidence before your holy presence, oh God. God, none of us here in this room are without sin. God, we are so corrupted to the core of our being. Lord, we need you more today than yesterday, oh God. As you grow older, help us not to grow more proud, but help us be more humble each and every single day, desperately crying out to you, God, that I am desperately in need of your love and of your touch, oh God, every single day. And God, as we dive into today's message, as we learn about David, oh God, that we'll see a contrast, a deep contrast between Saul and David. And God, that we'll be like David, oh Lord, that we'll have a heart of David, a man and woman of God who seeks your face, not perfect, but God, an individual, a man and woman of God who will pick themselves back up, right back up, and to seek your holy presence once again, oh God. Lord, we don't stand before your presence with arrogance. God, we have nothing before you to offer before you, O oh God. But let us take heed of your warning and the truth of your word. To obey is better than sacrifice. Lord, we obey you today. The life of a disciple. God, the sacrifice of a disciple. God, what it means to be a disciple. Remember, God, Luke 14. God, we count the cost of being a disciple. That's all or nothing. God, whether it's today or tomorrow, we surrender our lives to you. So God, I pray, as you transition now to the message, I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of those hearts who will be listening here today, Lord, may it be pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord, for you are a shepherd, you are a rock, you are a leader, you are my God, and you are my Father. So God, I surrender myself to you. We humble ourselves to you, God, at this time. 
take control of the service take dominion here in this place oh god we cast aside every distraction of any hindrances any whispers and the shouts of the enemy rebuke it in the name of jesus christ the name above all names we overcome because god you have overcome we overcome through christ who strengthens us we need you today more than yesterday we love you we thank you pray all these things in your precious son jesus christ let me pray and god's people pray amen and amen all right god bless you all uh let's just take a moment to greet our neighbors at this time and i'm excited about today's message uh, because we will be doing a shift we've been on saw we spoke about a little bit about jonathan uh, but now we finally get to our main guy uh, the guy and his name is David, I'm very excited to start this and to transition now to this new character named David. And today in this message, uh, if you could just go back to the message from, I believe it's the sixth number of the, ser- uh, the sermon of this series, but the title was called The Rejected King and Saul Introduced, which I did a couple weeks ago. And I'm going to be doing a quite similar parallel between these two messages because uh, these two individuals become the first two king of Israel, and they have similarities, but at the same time, they have many different qualities. And what makes them different and what makes David special is his heart after God's own heart. That's the difference. Saul is proud. David is full of humility. Amen. So today's message is called The Unlikely King. David introduced. The unlikely king, David introduced. We'll be continuing on in our authentic Christian, Christianity series today. So if you remember back in the message of the rejected king, so introduced, I started with this. How does God choose his people for his service? That was the question that I asked. And I went back to that song, For Him, The Measure of a Man. And in the lyric, it says, The world can analyze and size you up and throw you on the scales. They can IQ you and run you through their rigorous details. They can do their best to rate you, and they'll place you on the charts and then back it up with scientific smarts. But there's more to what you're worth then their human eyes can see. Oh, I say the measure of a man is not how tall you stand, how wealthy or intelligent you are. Because I found out that the measure of a man, God knows and understands, for he looks inside to the bottom of your heart. God, I pray that you look within my heart, oh God, to the bottom of your heart. And what's in the heart defines the measure of a man and a woman. What is the true measure and the worth of an individual? With Olympics coming up, with soccer games and finals, with sports, is it strength? Is it speed? Is it height? Is it beauty? Is it intelligence? 
But in this song, and we know from scripture and what we're going to learn here in 1 Samuel chapter 16, we learn that it's what's in the heart. It defines the measure of the person. We live in a completely different world versus the world. The way the world chooses, God chooses completely differently. The world chooses the best, the beautiful, the smart, the brightest, the fastest, but not with God. What we're going to learn here today in 1 Samuel 16 is that God chooses whom he chooses, first of all, because he's sovereign. He chooses those who fear him. He chooses those who seek him. He chooses those who desire to do his work. Do you understand that? For those who desire to do his work. And if you have right now in your heart a desire to serve God and to do God's work, then he will choose you for his work, for his service. The available. Are you available? Am I available before God? Or am I too busy? Am I too distracted? Are you available before God? How does God measure a person? What's in the heart defines the measure of a man. And we learn from all the way from chapter 1, 1 Samuel, all the way up until now, chapter 16. We learn that Saul, we learn about Hannah, we learn about Samuel, we learn about Jonathan and the armor bearer, and we see a complete opposite in the way that they live their lives. We have been learning from our series, especially with Saul, that he lacked the inner character to be a great king. That Saul lacked integrity, he was dishonest, and most importantly, he was too proud that many of us are prone to. We learn about, in chapter 15, about the Amalekites. We learn about last week, to obey is better than sacrifice. We learn about Samuel's last warning to Saul from God, telling Saul that I have regret and I have rejected you as king of Israel. We learn that God desires a humble and a broken individual and a faithful leader, not a proud leader, not a proud king. And we will see here today in 1 Samuel chapter 16, a huge shift, a complete shift behind the scenes. This is happening. The context is Saul is still king. It says, I think he's been, he was king for like 40 or 40 something years. At the age of 30, he becomes king. He's still the king, but God behind the scenes. Again, this is done in secret. God had already chosen a new king, a boy, young boy named David, a nobody, a shepherd boy named David to rise up to take place as the new king of Israel. And we will right now get into the scripture and I hope you're excited as we are introduced now to the story of David. Let's go with 1 Samuel chapter 16. And the title says, Samuel anoints David. Amen. Let's start with verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. 
we see that Samuel, he loved Saul, even though Saul was disobedient. But Samuel chose to, he could not get past the fact that Saul was corrupted and evil. He took it personally because he was the one that anointed Saul as, as the first king of Israel. Many of us remain in our past. When we sin, we stay in our past. But God, he wants us to get up and to move forward. His train is moving. Get on that train of God. How long will you mourn? How long will you stay there for Saul? I have rejected him as king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. We need to be on our way where God is leading us. Do not let anyone else hold you back from being able to go in the path and the journey that God had called you to live. I'm sending you to Jesse. Again, Jesse is the father of David. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Verse 2, but Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. But never be afraid of people. Be afraid of God. When God calls us to go, go. Go in faith and in courage. Whether it's a Muslim nation, it's a country that is it's a Buddhist nation, whether it's a Hindu nation, it doesn't matter. You go in faith and you go in courage. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to that sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord consecrate, which means to purify, purify yourselves, consecrate yourselves, and come to the sacrifice with me. And then he consecrated, purified Jesse and his sons, and invited them to the sacrifice. So what it means here, consecration, what is the purification process? It's just literally getting rid of foreign gods. If there's any idols, get rid of them. Uh, changing your clothes, about washing up, taking a bath, and no physical intimate act. Purify yourself, consecrate, saying, get ready. Because God is about to do something great. Verse 6, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Is that the name David? No, it's Eliab, the older brother. When Samuel saw Eliab, he thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. And we could just imagine Eliab being similar to Saul. Again, Saul, what was his physical attribute? He was tall, handsome, right? He was rich and handsome. Remember that? He was a head taller than everyone else. So Samuel thought maybe God is going to choose the same way. And Eliab was tall and handsome, I'm sure. That's why Samuel thought to himself, surely Eliab is the one that God has chosen. But verse 7, and this is the key. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart, your heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab, pass, and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. 
Jesse then has Shema passed by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse has seven of his sons passed before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? And he's, ah, you know, I mean, there's that loser, the youngest, and he's not even here. There's still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Samuel said, and again here, this is very important, tending the sheep. Do you remember the contrast between the two? Saul was what? Searching for the donkeys. He says he could not find it there. He did not find it there. He was like, oh, I'm lost. I don't know what I'm doing. But what is this young boy doing? We see right away that he is a shepherd boy, a young shepherd. God is grooming him in the secret place, giving clues to the reader that he will be a great and an amazing king. He is tending the sheep, Samuel said. Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So again, all this is happening. This process is like a couple hours. I mean, this isn't like text, come David, and then come. Someone has to go look for him. Get him, get him here. They don't even have vehicles. They gotta like run or like ride the sheep or I don't know. Just get over here. Everyone's standing during this whole time. We see here the note, side note here is Saul is still king. They stood the whole time and the anointing is done in secret. This is done in secret, guys, because if Saul finds out, he will destroy all of them. Kill all of them. Verse 12. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. I bet the brothers were like, and from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. So point A, he is a shepherd boy. And we see it in verse 11. So yes, Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep, Samuel said. Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. Shepherd boy. Remember the rejected king? Saul introduced. Saul was an incompetent individual, an awful caretaker of his father's belongings. And we see right away that he was a terrible king. We see the examples that he showed. He didn't have a good relationship with his, his son. Jonathan didn't even trust him. And it says in 1 Samuel 9, 4, So he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and through the area around Shalisha, but they did not find them. They went into the district of Shalim, but the donkeys were not there. Then he passed through the territory of Benjamin, but they did not find them. This is the story of Saul. Complete opposite. Terrible problem solver. Not a responsible individual. A terrible shepherd, you can say. And in contrast, Saul was not a successful king. He was not a good shepherd to his people. He put himself first. He put himself first before God. 
so was not a very good caretaker of his father's animals. But we see that David, I mean, he was good enough that his family trusted him to take care of the sheep. And behind the scenes, God was working through David and in David, training him, grooming him to be ready to be the next king, extending his roots and his growth in God. And we see all throughout scripture that God, Jesus, that even the most notorious and amazing leaders in the scriptures, they were all shepherds. We know that Abraham was a shepherd. We know that Moses was a shepherd. And we see that Jesus, he even calls himself the shepherd. We see it in Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. That's what David says. And I lack nothing. He says in John chapter 10, 11, Jesus says about himself, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He says, he goes on, he says, I am not a higher hand, for a higher hand will run away when the wolf comes. But he says, he will lay down his life for the sheep because he is the good shepherd, it says in John chapter 10. And we also know in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. It's like those people that we see in the bus stops or in the train. When a pregnant individual comes or when an elderly comes, they're sitting in the spot. They don't get up for those individuals. But we see God, he is a gentle leader. He is a good leader. He gently leads those that have young. These amazing men were always noted for being good shepherds in the kingdom of God. So we see, letter A, that David was a shepherd boy. What was said about Saul that he could not find in 1 Samuel chapter 9 was a foreshadow of Saul's leadership and how he will lead God's people, lacking compassion and love. What we see with David is a foreshadow of David's leadership and how he will lead God's people with compassion, filled with compassion and love. So letter A, shepherd boy. Letter B, glowing with health. Turn to the person next to you and see if they're glowing with health. (laughs) And they didn't even look. He's like, nope. (laughs) Glowing with health. Let us see. We see that he was a man of fine appearance. Turn to the person next to you and see if that person is a person of fine appearance. D, handsome features. It could be one. Okay, turn to the person next to you. Just find one, one, and say something. Oh, I like your... (laughs) So letter A, shepherd boy, B, glowing with health, C, fine appearance, D, handsome features. It says in verse 12, so he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint them. This is... The one, but again, the main thing is the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. So point number one, tall, rich, and handsome, not. Tall, rich, and handsome, not. Samuel may have expected to find someone who resembles Saul's physical appearance because that's what he saw when he first anointed Saul as king. But nope, not in God. 
God is complete opposite. Verse 6, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Meaning he was impressed by the physical stature of Eliab and the other brothers. We see it in verse 8, verse 9, and verse 10. This is not it. Samuel must have been impressed by this young man, Eliab, and Eliab, the first man that he saw, similar to Saul. However, this is not a casting audition for a fictional role. This is for the next anointed king of Israel. It needed to be a person with character, with faith, with a humble heart. And what we can learn from point number one, tall, rich, and handsome not. And what we can learn from this is letter A. So point A, judge not by appearance alone. Judge not by appearance alone. In the kingdom of God, judge not by appearance alone. Doesn't mean we get to dress and do however we want. Uh, but again, judge not by appearance alone. B, judge not by how society admires. Judge not by how society admires. Do not follow the ways of the world, what's trending with celebrities or on Instagram and social media. Instead, let us see. Judge by character and heart. Judge by character and heart. For that's how God judges us, not by our appearance. Judge by character and heart. And letter D. Only God knows the inner heart. Only He knows what's within our hearts. That you have a heart, a desire to follow Him, or heart and desire to follow your own life, to do what you want to do. Do you want to do what you want to do, or do what God desires you to do? Verse 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Can we turn to our neighbor and say, the Lord, the Lord looks, at looks at the heart. The heart. Amen. Amen. Point number two, God always looks within the heart of the individual. God always looks within the heart of the individual. Always. Not sometimes. Always. God is omnipotent, omni, all, all-knowing, all-powerful, omnipresent. He is everywhere. He knows even our thoughts we cannot escape. The devil cannot read your thoughts. For he is limited, he is a counterfeiter and a liar. But God, he knows what's within our hearts. He knows everything. We cannot hide or run away from him. Verse 6 to 13 says, When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. If you look at verse 8, Abinadad, nope. 9, Shema, 
Nope, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse has seven of his sons. Verse 10, sons passed before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. Verse 11, so he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. Never before have David been honored this much before his brothers. Just like Joseph, the youngest. God chooses the lowest, the humble, the marginalized, the outcast. Verse 12, so he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had fine appearance and handsome features. He had good attitude. He was a good individual, a good-hearted boy. Not filled with corruption, a scoundrel, but he was innocent, handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint them. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. And we see here, God literally pops Samuel's earthy lenses and warns Samuel about the dangers of judging by appearance alone. He's reminding that appearance does not equal to the quality of the person, what they are like or what their true heart is, for only God knows what's inside the heart of the individual. Verse 7, again, we've said this a lot, but let's all read it together. Ready? One, two, three. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Praise be to God for some of us, for a lot of us, that God doesn't judge us according to our physical attributes. Why are you laughing? <laughs> Thank you, God, that you don't choose me by my, by my nose, by my eyes, by my height, by my body, by the physical things that I have that I was born with. Thank you, God, that you choose your people by their hearts and by their faith in Christ and by their character. Never appearances. Thank you, God. For God knows what is within the heart of the man and the woman. Saul, despite his external looks and riches, he had failed miserably. So truth is, God desires obedience and humility. Letter A. So point letter A here. Settle your past. Settle your past. If you do not settle your past, your past things, and your past relationships, you will not have a future, a bright future in God. We cannot accept the new things that God has in store for us if we stay within our past. And we see here in verse 1, the Lord said to Samuel, Samuel had to get past the past of what happened with Saul. He was mourning 
He could not get up from bed. He could not get up and, and move forward with the new day that God had given him. How long will you mourn for Saul? How long? How long are you going to stay in your present and your past? Since I have rejected him as king over Israel, it's over. Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. Turn to your neighbor and say, be on your way. Move on, move forward. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. We must settle our past to move forward for the future. In every man's Bible, it says this. It says, it has been said that when the past is quarreling with the present, there can be no future. I'll say it again. It has been said that when the past is quarreling with the present, there can be no future. You must get past the present in order for you to accept the new things that God has in store for us. We cannot keep the old car while we're trading in and expect to get a new car and hold it. You have to trade. You have to give it away for you to receive the new thing that God has in store for us. Samuel, once he did that, we saw a bright future in Israel. To live a life, a new life in the future, we must settle our past. So again, letter A, settle your past. Letter B, develop your inner character. Develop, develop, develop. When you become Christian, it's not something that happens overnight. We must be developed by God, sanctified in Him. Develop your inner character. Our desire should not be makeup and clothes, external things. But our desire should be to develop our inner character rather than the exterior. Yes, people see the outside, but we must remember and remind ourselves that God looks on the inside. Let us see, improve the attitude of your heart. Improve the attitude of your heart. Rather than buying new clothing, new makeup, the question I want to ask you is, what are we doing? to improve the attitude of your heart. Where is your heart's attitude before God? So many people spend hours of the day to maintain their outward appearance, makeup, clothes, and it's a reflection, not that those things are bad, but when we are consumed more, the scale is higher, is heavier, then the character, then we realize the insides, our insides are full of garbage, full of evil, corruption, and greed. We must develop the attitude of our hearts more than the physical things. People see your face and they will say, oh, you look so innocent and beautiful. But that's just a mask that we wear. It's our physical body. But Lord, the Lord looks within the heart. He looks at the heart of the individual within. Mi corazón, right? My heart. He's like, what? Corazón? Is that like a pasta? Verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And last point here, uh, letter D, 
Uh, seek God in the secret place. Seek God in the secret place. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing, uh, but the reference here is found in Matthew chapter 6. And in Matthew chapter 6, uh, Jesus is giving an example about when you're tithing, uh, when you're praying, when you're giving to the needy. Uh, he reminds them, don't do it in front of people like pagans babbling out words, many words to look good in front of them. But it says, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. It says, do things in secret. When you pray, it says, go behind the closed door and pray. So I encourage you to go ahead and in the future, go ahead and read Matthew chapter 6. Because it talks about only then that we will have treasures in heaven, not treasures in this world. And your heavenly Father who sees what is done in secret, he will reward us. So let point letter D, seek God in the secret place. Look at verse 11. First Samuel 16, 11 says, So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest. He is tending the sheep. That is so important because David, in the secret place, in his own place, behind the scenes when no one is watching, he is a shepherd by himself in the field with his sheep. He was seeking God. He was praising God. And we also know that he was a worship leader as well. He praised God in the secret place. And David was always confident. Why? Because he had a strong relationship with God in the secret place. David was confident, and you'll see in the next chapter when he goes and fights Goliath in chapter 17, everyone is so scared to fight this guy. It's like the scene from Troy, the movie that we saw. One-on-one. -on -one. Everyone is afraid of Goliath, this giant. But we see the courage in David taking down this giant. How is he so confident? Because the scripture tells us that he won many battles in the secret place when no one was watching. He won many battles. And this is a future scripture, uh, a little uh, peak for us, First Samuel chapter 17, verse 32 to 37. Let's go ahead and read this. Uh, this is when he's about to go and fight Goliath. It says in verse 32, it says, David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. He's talking about Goliath because he's mocking everyone. You know, you're all cowards. You're all going to die. Come fight me. He says, you're serving me. I will go and fight him. And Saul replies, his first time seeing David, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, a boy. And he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant, what? Has been keeping his father's sheep. He's been a shepherd since young. And when you're a shepherd, you are faced with all types of oppositions. Not just the weather, not just the land, but with animals that will come and try to attack the sheep. So he says, when a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its Mouth. I mean, that's pretty dangerous, right? What he did? Pretty crazy. Strong. When it turned on me, I seized it by his hair, struck it, and killed it. This is crazy. 
Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. Not only a bear, but a lion now. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. As you grow up, you will meet godly men and women of God, and you will meet missionaries who are doing amazing things. Like you'll see them in a Muslim nation where it's so dangerous, in a communist nation, in a place where you could be persecuted and arrested. You may think, wow, how do they have that courage? How do they have that kind of faith? How are they able to maintain and achieve that kind of faith? It's because they are faithful to God in the secret place. They follow God in the secret place. Seek God in the secret place. And David was confident because he had won many battles in the secret place. I still have point number three, but let's get ready. You could have your notes open, but let's just get ready. But I want to read from you a story from a book called A Tale of Three Kings. A Tale of Three Kings, I believe it's written by Gene Edwards. Uh, It's a book that I read during my seminary years. And when I read it, uh, in the book, there's like tear marks and things because it's just such a humbling book. It's a story about three kings. Uh, It's a story about David, Saul, uh, how Saul throws a spear at David and tries to attack him, and just all the hardship that David goes through. And then later, his son, Absalom. But in this book, I just want to read you an intro of this book because this book is very beautiful and it's just so humbling and it humbles you. And it gives just such a beautiful description of the story of David. So let me just go ahead and read from chapter 1. Let's pay attention and uh, try to really soak up uh, the words that is being read here in this book. So this is about David. Chapter 1, it says this. The youngest son of any family bears two distinctions. He is considered to be both spoiled and uninformed. Usually little is expected of him. Inevitably, he displays fewer characteristics of leadership than the other children in the family. As a child, he never leads. He only follows. For he has no one younger on whom to practice leadership. So it is today and so it was 3,000 years ago in a village called Bethlehem in a family of eight boys. The first seven sons of Jesse worked near their father's farm. The youngest was sent on tracks into the mountains to graze the family's small flock of sheep. On those pastoral jaunts, this youngest son always carried two things a sling, and a small guitar-like instrument. And he's like, ooh, my guitar, the small one, the mini. Spare time for sheep herder is abundant on rich mountain plateaus 
where sheep can graze for days in one sequestered meadow. But as time passed and the days became weeks, the young man became very lonely. The feeling of friendlessness that always roamed inside him was magnified. He often cried. He also played his harp a great deal. He had a good voice. Dan's like, that's me. So he often sang. When these activities failed to comfort him, he gathered up a pile of stones and one by one swung them at a distant tree with something akin to fairy. I remember in middle school, it's like a, I'm digressing here, but when I used to come from school, there was like this apartment hill that I used to live in, and there was a sewer, like a whole thing in the middle, and they were all in the middle of this um, that leads up to the apartment, goes up and down, and in this middle, they had a pile of rocks, bunch of rocks, so I would, every day after school, because I was pretty lonely then, you know, only child, and, uh, you know, in a town place that I wasn't familiar with, and I would take rocks, and I would just, like, throw it, and I would try to, like, get in the hole, I'm going to get in the third one on the top row, and then do it, and then at one point, I don't know, I just went crazy, and I started throwing at uh, mailboxes. <laughs> in the houses in the front and one time this guy came out and was like what do you think you're doing are you the one that's been doing that and he was very nice about it he's like please don't do it anymore and I said I'm very sorry in my broken English And but again loneliness it, le- it leads us to do things right and that's what he was doing we, we assembled his rocks just just making things and just swinging at a distance just swung them at a distant tree with something akin to fury right in the book, it goes on, when one rock pile was depleted, he walked to the blister tree, reassembled his rocks, and designated another leafy enemy at yet a farther distance. He engaged in many such solitary battles. The shepherd singer Slinger also loved his Lord. At night, when all the sheep lay sleeping, and he sat staring at the dying fire, he would strum upon his harp and break into a quiet song. He sang the ancient hymns of his forefather's faith. While he sang, he wept. And while weeping, he often broke out in an abandoned praise until mountains and distant places lifted up his praise and tears and passed them on a higher mountains until they eventually reached the ears of God. I remember reading this. I remember visually, even right now in middle school, when I gave my life to Christ, when Christ came to me, having a boombox, back then it was a cassette player, I have it by my head, play praise songs before I go to sleep in my loneliness with tears falling down. And that's what he would do, worship God while he sang, he wept. When the young shepherd did not praise and would did not cry, he tended to each and every sheep and lamb. When not occupied with this flock, he swung his companionable sling and swung it again and again until he could tell every rock precise, precisely where to go. Once while singing his lungs out to God, angels, sheep, and passing clouds, he spied a living enemy, a huge bear. He lunged forward, not away, both found themselves moving furiously toward the same small object, a lamb feeding at a table of rich green grass. Youth and bear stopped halfway and whirled to face one another. Even as he instinctively reached into his pocket for a stone, the young man realized why I am not afraid. 
Meanwhile, brown lightning on mighty furry legs charged at the shepherd with foaming madness. Impelled by the strength of youth, the young man married rock to leather, and soon a brook's smooth pebble wind through the air to meet that charge. A few moments later, the man, not quite so young as a moment before, picked up the little lamb and said, I am your shepherd and God is mine. And so long into the night, he wove the day's saga, saga into a song. He hurled at him to the skies again and again until he had taught the melody and words to every angel that had ears. They in turn became custodians of his wondrous song and passed it on as healing balm to brokenhearted and women in every age to come. A figure in the distance was running toward him. It grew and became his brother. Run, cried his brother. Again, this is the story of 1 Samuel 16. The brother that went to go get him. Run with all your strength. I watched the flock. Why? An old man, a sage, a prophet. Remember, sage means prophet. That's what you guys learned a long time ago. He wants to meet all eight of the sons of Jesse, and he has seen all about you. But why? He's asking, why? I'm nobody. Why? Why? Just run. David runs. So David ran. He stopped long enough to get his breath. Then sweat pouring down, his sunburned cheeks, his red face matching his red curly hair. He walked into his father's house, his eyes recording everything in sight. The youngest son of Jesse stood there tall and strong, but more in the eyes of the curious old gentleman than to anyone else in the room. Kith and kin cannot always tell when a man is grown. Even when looking straight at him, the elderly man saw, and something more he saw in a way he himself did not understand. The old man knew what God knew. God had taken a house-to-house survey of the whole kingdom in search of someone very special. As a result of the survey, the Lord God Almighty had found that this leather launch troubadour loved his Lord and with a purer heart than anyone else and on all the sacred soil of Israel. Kneel, said the bearded one with the long gray hair. Just Samuel, almost regularly, for one who had never been in that particular position. David knelt and felt oil pouring down on his head, somewhere in one of the closets of his mind labeled childhood information. He found the thought, This is what men do to designate royalty. Samuel is making me dot, dot, dot. What? I don't think you're supposed to say dot, dot, dot. The Hebrew words were unmistakable. Even children knew them. Behold the Lord's anointed. Quite a day for that young man, wouldn't you say? Then do you find it strange that this remarkable event led the young man not to the throne, but to a decade, I'll say it again, to a decade of hellish agony and suffering. He's talking about Saul attacking David. On that day, David was enrolled, not into the lineage of royalty, but into the school of brokenness. Tell the Lord, Lord, I desire to be broken before you. Samuel went home. The sons of Jesse, save one, went forth to war. And the youngest, not yet right for war, received a promotion in his father's home. 
from shepherder to messenger boy, his new job to run food and message to his brothers and on the front lines. He did this regularly. On one such visit to the battlefront, and this is going to lead us to next week, the message when he fights Goliath. On one such visit to the battlefront, he killed another bear in exactly the same way as he had the first. This bear, however, was nine feet tall and bore the name Goliath. And as a result of this unusual feat, young David found himself a folk hero. And eventually he found himself in the palace of the mad king. And the circumstances that were as insane as the king, the young man was to learn many indispensable lessons. Amen. So with point number two, God always looks within the heart of the individual. Settle your past, develop your inner character, improve the attitude of your heart, and seek God in the secret place. I want to end with this question. Are you growing in your faith in God in your secret place? In your faith generally? Are you putting your faith into action? Are you growing in your character? Or are you like Joe's wife? What she says in chapter 2, verse 9, Job 2, 9. Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. Are we like David, faithful in our own secret place? Last point here, point number three. By grace alone. Can we just close our eyes and say, God, it is by your grace that you have chosen me. It is by your grace that I can stand. By grace alone. Though you look within the heart, you see everything, God. There's nothing that can be hidden from you. You know all things. You see all things. Nothing cannot be hidden. You know everything, oh God. You know our ins and our outs, our insecurities, the things that we hide behind, the masks that we wear, the lies that we say, the heart of anger, not of gratitude. By grace, by grace alone. God chooses his people by grace. Saul, physically, he was perfect, but he lacked humility. David, on the other hand, he lived in humility all of his life. His answer was, yes, Lord. I may not have everything. I may not understand everything, but yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I messed up. But I need you right now. Your truth is greater than my feelings. Are you forgetting that you are chosen by grace and by grace alone? 
What a beautiful and an amazing and a wonderful reminder that you, me, and all of us here in this room and those who are listening, that we are chosen by grace, by His grace. And what a reminder, beautiful reminder, that you alone, you have been chosen by His grace. You are chosen by grace. Chosen by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. When God calls us, He empowers us with His Holy Spirit. When God calls us, He gives you His Holy Spirit to live a courageous and a victorious life. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, it says this, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that you can boast or that no one can boast. For we are God's God workmanship, His handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do the good works which God prepared. He prepared in advance for you and for me, for us to do. Point number one, tall, rich, and handsome not. Number two, God always, 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 and always looks within the heart of the individual. And point number three, by grace alone. And if you focus on the main words that were used here, not always alone. Point number one was not, point number two always, and point number three was alone. It sums up the key words for each point. It sums up to this, not always alone. The key message here today is that you are not alone. You have the Lord Jesus Christ. You are yoked with Christ. You are not alone. When you feel like you're alone in the secret place, the Lord walks with you. The Lord strengthens you. It is by grace you have been chosen. It is by grace that we are able to be able to enter His holy holies, enter His place of throne, the holiness of God. It is through the righteousness of Christ that we are able to stand before Him today. Not always alone. You are not alone. You are in Him and through Him you will overcome. So if you can place the right hand of your hands to the left side of your chest, your heart representing your life. Let us commit our hearts back to God. Let us turn to Him. It is by grace, by grace alone. It it has nothing to do with how tall you are, by your height, or by the way you look, by what we have, the money that we have in the bank accounts. It is the Lord that looks within the heart. The Lord chooses His workers. God chooses His servants by their hearts. How does God choose? How does God choose His people for His service? It is by the measure of the heart, the conviction of your heart, your willingness of your heart. Are you willing to do the will of God or are you not? Are you willing to humble yourself and to seek after God or are you willing to follow your own destiny or the destiny that God has for us? So right now, let's commit our heart, our life back to God. Let's make it our prayer and our worship. Cry out to Him. Cry out to Him as David did. Cry out to Him and seek His face this morning. Let us pray together.
is his noble love. His noble love with the love of the cross. His pure love with the love of the cross. The love, the love of the cross is unconditional. The love of the cross is unchanging. I am free by abiding in the Lord. I am at peace by living in the Lord. Lord, as David you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and we understand from sto the story in verse 7 or 16 that his brothers were not supportive of him and in a sense they were his enemies and even at times when our friends our dear friends or friends from the past or childhood friends or even even our own family members even if they oppose Lord you prepare a table before us in the presence of my enemies. As David, God, you anoint our heads with oil. And God, it is not with leftover, but Lord, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and your mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell, I will dwell and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Lord, thank you that you are our great shepherd, the shepherd, the one who died for us, the one who rescued us, the one who loved us and died on the cross for us. Not only, God, did you die, but God, you have risen again from the dead. You have resurrected and you have ascended into the heavens and you have sent your Holy Spirit to strengthen us and to guide us in our times of mourning and trials and suffering. Lord, you are faithful. Faithful you are. Faithful you have been. And faithful you will be for tomorrow. Even if I live for tomorrow and tomorrow is not promised. Faithful you will always be. The spotless lamb. Lord, you are here with us. The spotless lamb. You are here in our pain, in our lives. Lord, we thank you for this message. We thank you for the reminder that tall, rich, and handsome not, that God, you always look within the heart of the person, the individual. And the most important reminder, it is by grace alone which sums up the words and that we will not forget for the rest of our lives. Not always alone. Can you whisper that in your heart with your right hand to the left side of your chest? Remind yourself and minister yourself. You know, when I preach, when I pray, I'm not here doing anything, a show, or preaching to you. I'm preaching to myself. I minister to my own heart. 
And that is why I'm able. And you know, I never, barely, even in my own life, tears fall unless it's in these moments where I know I'm broken and I'm lost. And this is me ministering to myself. For I am lost without Him and I need Him more than anything. Remind yourself today with your hand to the left side of your chest, your chest, your heart representing your life. Whisper into your heart. Say, not always alone. Not always alone. You're not alone. You are are not alone. For the Lord walks with you. For the Lord walks with us. Amen. Lord, we pray all these things in your precious Son, the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, the name, the great shepherd of the sheep, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the name above all names. We pray all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, the precious Son, the precious name of Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us this Sabbath day and for blessing us with this space and with the message delivered to us through Reverend Andrew this morning. Lord, we thank you that you do not look at the outward things, but that you look within our hearts. You know all things, for you are omniscient and omnipotent. And just like David, we also desire to honor you and please you through a spirit of humility and obedience. We ask for the strength to move on from our past and to overcome our present struggles, not being influenced by the way people see us or being led astray by the worldly ways. We look to you alone, for you are our only good shepherd. It is by your grace and your mercy that we can stand before you today. And so with every breath that we have left in this life, we will remain faithful to you and seek after you always. At this time, we lift this offering up to you, thankful for all that you have done for us, and pray that it will be used to further your works and your glory. Please continue to watch over each of our members and protect them and their families this week. We love you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.